Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study on the disciplines of the believer's life, Pastor Murphy showed us that in order for the believer to develop godliness, he must exercise himself in several Christian disciplines. Today we'll begin to study the Christian discipline of meditation. Turn with me please to the book of uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. For those of you who might be visiting, uh, who have not been coming to our church for any length of time, the subject that I've been dealing with on Sunday mornings for the past four Sunday mornings that I've preached, that I'm dealing with the whole subject of godliness. How does a believer become more godly? And the text I'm using is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, follow with me, please. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and reading from verse number 7 to verse number 8. Uh, Paul says to the young man, Timothy, his understudy, his troubleshooter, uh, his protege, uh, whatever term you might think appropriate. Uh, but he's seeing him in his last closing years. And Paul is uh, giving information and encouraging him and trying to uh, help him to focus on what should be a priority in terms of ministry and in terms of his life. And notice what he says to him in verse number 7 and verse number 8. He says, But refuse profane and all wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of this life that now is, and of that which is to come. That's the text. Now the point I'm making here is, if we're going to make godliness our ambition, and we are going to, to do it, it means that we're going to have to pursue it, and seek it, and to seek God. It means that we're going to have to exert personal effort. We are going to have to become a disciplined people. In the words of Paul to Timothy, exercise yourself unto godliness. I have said this repeatedly. The word is gymnasio yourself unto godliness. And we get the word gymnasium. And what Paul is doing, he's taking a word and he's painting a word picture. He is saying to Timothy, the same way an athlete goes into the gym and practices to become excellent, to, to, to become strong, and to develop all those technical skills he needs in whatever discipline. Paul is saying, apply that same form of arduous self-effort to godliness. Exercise. Discipline yourself to godliness. That's what Paul is talking about. So what Paul is saying is that if we are going to become godly, the same level of application of self-discipline that we apply to athleticism or, or games or sports, we got to apply that to godliness. Now, you notice recently, Miguel. Recently, Miguel ran the second fastest 200 in the world. Now that is a significant accomplishment. Don't you think? We got what? Six or seven billion people on the earth. And imagine. One man that we know in this church. One fella. One little fella. To use a term. 
We would say one nobody in terms of what the world would recognize. But here is a guy among us that runs the second fastest 200 in the world. Now here's a question. How did he do that? Well, I know what he did, boy. He went out fetting every night with the girls. And uh, when he felt like practicing, he practiced. And then when he felt like flying home, and then he eat anything he wanted to eat. One day, uh, crab another day, uh, this, the next thing. He, he as much ice cream that he wanted and so on and so forth. Now, if he did that, if he did that, do you think he could ever accomplish what he did? Could never. Not unless he's Superman. But what he realizes is he wants to be, he wants to be Usain Bolt eventually. I think that's his goal. They look alike, by the way. They're built alike. You ever notice the two of them? They look, if you see the two of them together, they're almost, only thing he's better looking. Okay. <laughs> but really, he, he, he wants, he really wants to, I think that's what he wants. And I think it is within the realm of possibility that he will. But I want to say to you, he will never accomplish that feat until he disciplines himself daily. Running, running. When he's tired, still run. When he's tired, still run. When it's rain, still run. Discipline. Now here's the problem. We understand that. But when I tell you we got to do the same thing to become godly, we almost give up immediately. So that's why we don't go anywhere. We go two steps forward today and three steps backward tomorrow. Can you keep going forward, 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 and backward, 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 forward, forward. And guess what? We have big wheels going nowhere. And I tell you this. That is the dilemma the modern church finds itself in today. Every church is calling for revival. Every church is calling for some transformational lifestyle. Every church wants God to visit. Every church wants to be different. But I have not met a church who understands that if it's going to happen... The people have got to discipline themselves into godliness. They don't. You know, because we got saved by grace without effort. We want to live by grace without effort too. Listen, we got saved without any human effort. God saved us without our work. But when God saved us, God gave us a power. Called who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within the believer to enable the human weakness to overcome that. That's what it's about. God knew that you can't do it in yourself. See? So what he, he gave you the Spirit of God to, to your weakness, your tiredness, your exhaustion, to push you through the Spirit within you, to empower you to do what you think is impossible. But we must develop the mindset that godliness is not something we can just easily moving to. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God can send a conduit from heaven, a pipe into heaven and just put godliness into your life and you did nothing? That's what we want, as a matter of fact. It requires effort on our part. Now, I have uh, been talking to you on this subject and I've looked at four areas so far. We looked at the different passages of Scripture that deal with this matter. Secondly, I talked about the problems that people have who want to pursue godliness. Thirdly, I talk about the perils. Because the danger of a person becoming more godly is, the real danger of that person is becoming very proud. Very, very, very proud. 
And uh, because he seemed to be moving in that direction, others are not moving. He's trying to turn up his nose on the other person who's not making the same kind of progress. And things could happen. So there's, there's some perils. We talked about that. And then we talk about the path to it. And this is where Paul helps us, that is, by the process of, of discipline. Now, I have mentioned as well that if we are going to become godly and we're going to discipline ourselves, we have to discipline ourselves in five areas. Okay, five areas. We've got to discipline ourselves where we get into the word regularly. Get into the word regularly. And don't just read the word saying, I read my two chapters. And pat yourself on the back. And you don't get one thing out of it. If I were to meet you on the street after you read your two chapters and I ask you, did you do your reading? Yes. What did you learn? Wow. Can't you remember the chapters you read? But what has happened is that we, we pat ourselves on the back and we commend ourselves because at least we've done what we think the other person is not doing. So we're going to have to somehow spend some time in the word. Now, I don't have to tell you that the word is the spiritual food that develops the spiritual inner man. Look, you're, you're, can any of you go a week without eating something? Some of you can't go an hour without eating something. <laughs> there are some people who all must be munching. You see them all the time, they're munching something. Munching. They gotta heat, cut. The body needs to be fed. Now, if that is true about the physical man, how are you going to feed the spiritual man? And the, the, we'll have to find out how to feed the spiritual person. The Bible tells you how you do that. See? The word. My word is meat. It is drink. And it's an imagery, it's a picture. It's saying, compare physical eating to spiritual eating. The same way you need to eat physical food, you need spiritual food. And here is the spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. See? The natural man lives by the food he eats. The spiritual man should live by the spiritual food he digests. So we need to get into the word. We'll talk about that. Secondly, we talked about prayer. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on prayer because I did a whole series on prayer in this church. Exhausted series, I thought, on prayer. And I might just highlight some of the main things. about. But then, the matter of fasting. Something I've never done in this church in terms of talking about it. Because I'm not a practitioner of fasting either. And that's where a pastor becomes terribly embarrassed when he has to preach on these topics. Because here I am telling you to do something that I am not doing myself. That's why I said preaching is not about preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself too, you know. Believe you me, the time I get into this pulpit, and when I point to you, my finger's pointing back to me. And I got to be saying, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So it's not just a pastor. Look, I am not perfect. I hope you know that. I'm close to, no, just joking. (laughs) Far from it, very far from it, very far from it. But the point I'm making here is that we have to deal with topics that make us uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. And one of the things that we're going to have to do is to get into the practice. Now, I'm not, I'm not a legalist. I don't believe that we should fast every Thursday or fast every Wednesday at the church. I think that fasting is a personal thing. And I think you need to know what times you need to fast. I don't have to dictate to you, well, next week we'll be fasting for what? To let the people know, well, you know, the church is fasting. It's a matter that but you need to know how to do it, why to do it, and, and so on and so forth. How to avoid giddiness and all those kind of things. So we're going to have to deal with that. But it's something that once we learn, we're going to ask you to engage in it. We're not going to set a time. There may be a time when we have a real need in this church. A real problem in this church that we may have to call the church to fast over this matter. An emergency. A crisis. But ordinarily, it should be part of your normal life. 
You remember that um, they looked at Jesus and his disciples and said, you know, uh, you know, how come John and his disciples fast and your disciples don't fast? You remember what Jesus told them? Jesus said, as long as the bridegroom is present, my, my people will not fast. But when the bridegroom is removed, then they will fast. So he expected that his people would fast. Now think about that for just a moment. Let me just stay there for just a moment. How long have you been in this church? Don't answer. Think of the amount of years you spent as a Christian and not fasted once. Think about that for just a moment in comparison to what Jesus said. Oh me. Oh me. Thirdly, fourthly, there's a principle of meditation which I want to deal with this morning. I'll get into that and finish it up tonight. Meditation. And the reason I'm taking meditation is because this is something we talk about, but I'm not too sure if we ever get in. And then the other thing is self-examination. Doing a forensic examination of yourself before God. Periodically, maybe every three months, every six months, every year. Getting alone with God and allowing God to search you. Really, you know, we can live such shallow lives. Our lives are so superficial, man. It's amazing that we are real. See, But when we get before God and, and God, you know, the Lord has been telling me so many things, so many things recently because I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been crying out to him, really crying out to him, to ask him, help me with this, help me with that, help me with this, Lord, help me with that. And he's always throwing back things that I did a long time ago, my thinking, my soul. And I'm saying, God, I, I, know, that, I know that's the situation, but you know, I'm weak. I'm, you know, I, I keep telling him, he got to keep coming back. Things that I, man, I thought I, I had buried. Long, long time. He now brings that back to me when I'm saying, Lord, help me. Help me, please. Help me to be a more prayerful person. Help me to be more, a person that talks to you more frequently. See? And he's throwing back a lot of things to me. Listen, one of the most uncomfortable things you ever go through in life is when you really want to become godly, you're really going to be disturbed. Totally, your whole life is going to be shaken up. When you get passionate about God, your whole life gets shaken up. See? And so we'll be dealing with those matters shortly. Now, I, this morning I want to deal with the whole matter of um, meditation. I want to talk to you a, a minute, uh, a few minutes about the whole matter of, of meditation. One of the disciplines that we as Christians have got to cultivate as a regular part of our life is this whole matter of practicing to meditate. Um, what amazes me is that if a person wants to become proficient in a career or become proficient in an area of study or area of discipline, or as I mentioned to you just a moment ago, if a person wants to become skilled or excel in sports, or even if a person wants a hobby that he wants to make viable, I think we all recognize that that person has to exercise discipline in those areas. What shocks me, that why we understand that nobody can achieve excellence or pursue anything in life and achieve it and achieve success without effort. As a matter of fact, if a person came to you, uh, uh, Madari wants to be a doctor. 
he's well on his way to becoming a doctor. Now, sometimes uh, we don't see Madari on church on Sunday mornings, but I know why that happens. You know why? There are times when the workload is so heavy, he has a choice to make. Now, I know some of you feel that he should still come to church and fail his exams, right? I'm of a different opinion, completely different opinion. See? I think that if uh, a person is studying in a particular area and for whatever reason they didn't have enough time, whatever it is, and they know an exam is coming up, I would never say to you, come to church and let God take your business. Never would I do that. I would say to the brother, by the way, I, let me tell you why something as well. Let me tell you how I think huh? as a pastor. We got to get to church at a certain time, but here you've got an unsafe husband. And you're more concerned about getting to church in time than giving him his breakfast. Don't come to me. I condemn you for that. See? You take care of his breakfast first and be late for church. But don't say you've got to get to church fast and early and then neglect the man's breakfast. You're not getting any credit with me. You're not getting any bungly points with me. All you're getting is a hard tongue licking. Take care of your husband first. He is more important than getting here on time. See? The point I'm making here is that he can never succeed in becoming a doctor unless he puts effort into it. A lot of effort, a lot of sweat. A lot of sweat, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of early mornings, see? a lot of hard work. See? He has to do that. Now we all would say to him, you've got to do it. You must do it. You can't achieve it without that. The problem I'm having is that when we come to deal with Christianity now, we don't have that same sort of forcefulness that effort is needed. And that's where I find it difficult. Very difficult. So I'm saying to you, if we're going to have a new reformation and a new revival and a real uh, transformational change, it can only happen if the church moves in the direction of godliness or holiness or sanctification. You can call it uh, Christ-likeness if you want to. But the point is, when the people practice the discipline of godliness, we will have a corporate witness that is so influential that this community would feel the impact of this ministry. But not without this matter of godliness. So I want to begin dealing with this matter and I want us to leave what I call passive Christianity. I want us to leave what I call the philosophy of impotence. See, where we need to understand that effort is required on our part. I want us to understand that there's no post-conversion second blessing to wait for. And so many people are waiting for what they call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You got baptized by the Holy Spirit for the time you got converted. Read Corinthians chapter 12. There's no second blessing to wait for. There's no second uh, uh, awakening. See? You have all that God, when the Spirit came within you and indwelt. And by the way, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. So you don't need more of the Spirit. You need to yield more of yourself to the Spirit. But, you know, people talk, uh, anoint him, give him an unction. Read John. We have an unction from a high. We got the Spirit. He's called the unction. You don't need another unction. You don't need another anointing. You already got the anointing. But too many people are waiting for the anointing. 
And they're not doing what God says to do. And the one thing God says to them is not to wait for you now then, but discipline yourself in the godliness. We want God to do everything for us because we are spiritually lazy. We don't want to exercise effort. Now let's talk about this whole matter for just... A, let's do the first point. I want to talk about the, the whole matter of meditation uh, and so on and so forth. I want to talk about that. And I want to begin by saying that we do have a problem when it comes to this subject of meditation. In a very real sense, that is so embarrassing to the church, we have lost the art of what it means to meditate. And you know why does this happen? Because we are living in a cultural climate where quietness and thoughtfulness and reflection are not popular pastimes. In other words, the contemporary society in which we live are, there are five things that this society measures in. It measures in noise. Brother, wherever you go, things, you ever been behind one of these vehicles yet? And your vehicle behind is vibrating? And the guy, the music is so loud? And you're wondering, is he going to have, he'll be deaf in a few years? The decibels are so high. But noise, wherever you go, noise. I've said people to this as well. Uh, the times when you are, you're at home, you're not playing any loud music, but the guy down the road is playing loud music and you are sleeping. And you know what is happening? Your unconscious is taking in everything that's being played. So here you are driving your car and saying, No money, no love. Yeah. And you're saying, But wait a minute, I never, I never learned that song. You know how it's got into your psyche? Because it's being played and it's going into your mind. It's in your subconscious. And then one day, that never happened to you? Brother, it happened to me so many times, i got to stop myself. As a matter of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, <laughs> I've been certain places and when I cut myself, I said, but is she not my pastor? <laughs> but it's something automatic. It's just there. and you, you just find yourself humming, humming because... It is being siphoned off into your psyche. And remember, everything in your subconscious will always be there. You can't wipe it out. You can't go in there and wipe it with a, a glove. But I'm saying to you, our culture is one that measures in, in noise. By the way, the, the, the most peaceful place you will ever go on planet Earth, if you want rest, I'll tell you two, one place you can definitely go. Go to Nevis. Go to Nevis, brother. I mean, Nevis is like, it's another world in itself. I've never been in a more placid place in my life than Nevis. Quietness. See? As a matter of fact, you want to know some of the people are wrong. Anybody here alive? Very, very quiet. See? Our world is a world of noise. Everywhere, noise, noise, noise. You turn on the television, noise. You walk down the street, noise. You're in your car, noise. Noise, noise, noise. And meditation. You don't need noise. It's not conducive to meditate. When there's noise, you need to get away from distractions. The question is, where do you go? We'll talk about that. And then the other, other thing about our society is hurry. Hurry, 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 hurry. We're in a rat race. 
Running here and running there, driving here, driving there, darting here, darting there. We don't even have time to think. And by the time we want to think, we're so tired from running here and there that we are so exhausted we can't even think. See, that's why we have a problem with this matter of meditation. And then the other one is crowds. People. People. All around your people, somebody want this done, that person want the thing next done. You, you can't see. You ever wish you could get away from people sometimes? Oh, I think all of us do. Not that we don't like people, we love people. But man alive, they make so many demands upon you. You just wish that. I just I could get away on another planet but somewhere, go up maybe in the spacecraft up there and stay up there for a year. See? See? That in itself doesn't, it's not conducive because here you are, you plan to meditate. Say to you, somebody call. And by the way, the cell phone, Lord have mercy. People call me Sunday. Pastor, I've been calling you. I'm glad you're calling me. It's in the car. I'm inside. Leave it in the car. See? You know, people call me. Pastor, I've been trying to reach you. I put it right in the car. Because, you know, every time they call, you've got to answer the phone. You're going to your bathroom, cell phone. You're going to lie down bed, cell phone. No matter, you're cooking, cell phone. The phone finds you now. Noise, hurry, crowds, and work. Work. And I don't have to tell you, I'm, not, I'm a person who believes that we must have a very good work ethic. If a man does not work, he should not eat. I strongly believe in that. I don't believe in giving people a handout. I will give you a handout on the condition that you do something. I'll be honest with you. See? Uh, I, am not, I, am not, I think governments are destroying the moral fabric of its citizens by... I was talking to Brother Eves some time ago, and I tell you what Brother Eves told me. I thought about Brother Eves, his brother lived in America. And we were talking about something else, and Brother Eves told me this. You know, his, he was talking to his brother, and his brother is living in America. And it is, more, it, is, it is cheaper for him to stay home and not work than to go and work. Now, when a government does that, it is destroying the moral fabric. Of, of the people. See? Work is not the curse, you know, by the way. There was work before the curse came. See? Don't ever forget that. Work was part of God's design for Adam before sin came. When he planted it, you worked the garden. Sin has made work more difficult. But work is an essential part to, man, to man's manhood. The, more, the, the easiest way to destroy a man is that he can't find work. And you perpetuate that by keep giving him enough so he doesn't have to work. That is what has happened to America. That's what has happened to Europe. And that's what's happening globally. See? And then you create what is called a dependency class. Because if this government give you and you don't have to work, who are you going to vote for? <laughs> who are you going to vote for? Me? Who telling you, get up and work? <laughs> Man, I never vote for you. That's why America is the way it is today, by the way. It's not that they don't know their problems. They're $19 trillion in debt, going up to $21 trillion. The whole thing is going to collapse eventually, but they don't want to deal with the problems. Don't want to deal with the problems. See? And the, the whole system is going to collapse eventually, and with America going to bring down the whole world. Take it from me. It's going to bring down the whole world with them. See? Because they refuse to deal with the issues. See? But then there's another thing that, that gets in our way. Uh, I mentioned noise, hurry, crowds, work. Recreation. When we finally get a little break from work, what do we want to do? Go and meditate, right? No, we just want to go down and just put up the feet 
maybe sip a little bit of lemonade or something, and just just thaw out. We really don't have time. I mean, meditate, Pastor? You mean the only time I've got now I've got to meditate to? Those are the five things that drive us. That is why I said we have a serious problem. Now we have to decide our priorities. Is meditation going to be a priority for us? And I will tell you something I've learned in life. Whatever's a priority for us, we find time to do it. True or false? Once you establish as a priority, you find time to do it. I wouldn't say you find it. You make time. You can't find time. You make time to do it. See? The problem with us is that our priorities are warped and twisted and distorted and inverted. That's the problem with us. And we're going to have to understand that godliness must be our priority as Christians. If godliness is our priority as Christians, it means to, to practice these disciplines, I've got to make the time to do it whether I say I have no time or not. And by the way, I would like to say this. Because the church has gone away from meditation, you know what has happened in the world? And this is the real curse of the church. Christianity has left off meditation and now meditation has now become the exclusive property of Eastern religions. And people in the West from all over have fallen for these Eastern religions like yoga. We're going to talk about that this morning. I see a, there's a lady now on television. I saw in the paper she's talking about come down by the place over here and we're going to do yoga. And it's going to make you more creative in your mind and uh, it will take off your stress and it will make you more productive listen to me and I want you to understand this yoga is a form of meditation I will talk to this for just a moment but yoga is Hinduism they can give you a word that you must meditate on and think about you keep the word doesn't have to make any sense to you but you know what the word is the word is the name of a Hindu god that you invoke by saying that word to take over the meditator. Now, how many people in the West knows that? We've got millions of people in the West engaging in this thing called yoga, thinking it's an innocent practice. It's not an innocent practice. But why do you think they do that? They want to get off their stress. So they teach them this form of meditation, Eastern meditation. We'll talk about that shortly. So because the church, here's a person coming to the church, they're studying, a university student. He's bogged down with all kinds of things. He comes into the Western church and he, he wants relief. He wants some of his stress. He comes to the church and says, Pastor, how can I relieve this stress? Pastor, go to the doctor. Take some pills. He doesn't say to him, do you know there's something in Christianity called meditation? This is how you do it. Practice it. But what happened? He goes now to the Eastern religion and he said, you know, I'm so stressed out. And they said, we, we got a solution to you. Yoga. TM, Transcendental Meditation. We will teach you. And by the way, they're teaching them how to meditate, you know. That's what they teach. How to meditate. All this thing you hear about this yoga, it's about how to meditate. That's all it's about. To relieve stress. Now can you imagine the church don't even know to tell them how to release stress. But the Eastern religions could tell them how to do it. And if millions of people paid for it, we could give it free. 
We can give it for you. But because we've lost the fine art of how to meditate, we have surrendered it to the Eastern religions who are repackaging it under a lot of sophisticated names. They are relabeling it. It is Hindu religion being relabeled. And the West is gobbling up. They can't have enough of it. And this tragedy is that the church has surrendered a discipline that is so biblical. That's why I say to you, we need to, to get back uh, to it. And you know, by the way, the ancients, the read church history, read the lives of many of the great men of God. You know, uh, meditation was a regular part of their lives. You know why? You know why? It was an adjunct to the ministry of prayer. It was the preamble to prayer. So before they started, you know, we come before God and before <laughs> we knock and we don't even wait to hear if God is going to, what are you going to tell us? Hey, you in there. This is what I want. This is my needs. Give me this. Give me that. Help me today. Oh, yeah, hey, hey, hey. And God is in there looking at us and saying, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Is this how you treat me? You just rush into my kingdom and rule off all these requests? You don't even spend time to say, God, speak to me. Teach me what are my real needs. You begin to reflect, begin to think. And some things begin to crystallize in your mind. So that the things you want to mention before God, by the time you want to go there now, you say, no, that's not really important. Meditation was always the preamble to prayer. It was always the adjunct of prayer. These ancient men and these godly never rush into prayer without, first of all, reflecting on what they were going to do, what they are going to say. That is why you didn't have to teach people in the New Testament how to meditate. It was a normal part of godly life. That is no longer true. So I wonder sometimes how much of our prayer really gets answered. How much? How many of us ever pray effectively? How many? We say words, we throw words at God, but do we spend some time meditating and thinking and saying to God, now God, look, I've got all these things here, but I need you to help me to prioritize what is really important for this day. What am I coming up against, God? You can see the beginning from the end, you can see in between, the moments, the hours, the days, you can see that. God, help me to know what to do this day, how to act, what's coming my way, what to pray for. We meditate. And the other thing I'll, I'll come to, can you imagine that before you even go to this God, you begin to think about who this God is? Think about that for a moment, you know. This God made the universe. This God is omniscient. This God is omnipotent. This God is infinite. This God is a God of grace and love. This is a God that is compassionate. This is a God that is long-suffering. This is a God that says to me, call and I will answer you. You begin to build up in your mind 
the image of this God. So when, when David did that, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The point I'm making here uh, this morning is that we have got to get back to the practice of meditation, but we've got this problem that we don't know how to. And all these five things that are culture, that bombard and dominate our lives, we are almost prisoners to our culture. It's about time our culture doesn't dictate to us that we get a handle on our lives and say, listen, these are my priorities. And these are things I will stick with. Okay. I'm going to finish this tonight, so you've got to come back. Okay? Because I, I'm going to deal tonight a little bit with yoga. I'm going to deal with TM, Transcendental Meditation. You'll see the reason why I'm bringing this in at this time. Because normally when you're preaching, you hardly get to mention those subjects. You hardly get to bring these things in that people know what's going on. And then we're going to come to the idea of the practice of meditation and really what is the focus of meditation we look in, in particular in the psalms and you see the psalms give us about things that we should meditate on and so on and so forth and then the practical steps we can take if we're going to implement it let's have a word of prayer father thank you for those who are here this morning thank you lord for those who have sat patiently listening we trust that we have triggered in their minds a desire to pursue you to pursue godliness but also that we have been able to purge from their thinking the idea that we must be passive as Christians, that we must wait. Lord, that we must adopt the thinking that we are impotent. Help us to understand from this passage that we are called upon to discipline ourselves or exercise ourselves unto godliness. We are to work at this matter. We are to uh, as your people, put effort into the pursuit of godliness. And thank you, Lord, that it's not just enough in your word to tell us what we had to do. You've also given us the means by which godliness may be achieved. The different methods and techniques, as they were, uh, that we as Christians can employ in our pursuit of godliness. Lord, I just ask you this morning as we come to close, that we would develop a for you. That we would develop, Lord, a desire to know you, to become more godly. And that this would be the galvanizing force behind what we do. That we would, be, we would rearrange our priorities with this central concept of godliness at the very core and center. And we would be very watchful of our lives not to allow these five things in society to encroach upon us so that we revert back to the old habits of living superficial lives without any thoughtfulness whatsoever. We want to be like you. We want to be like your son. There's a path towards it. And I ask you to strengthen the will in the pursuit of godliness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us that meditation is popular everywhere except in Christianity. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., 
Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.